0: Hey everyone, welcome back to the DadCore Cinema Club, it's a podcast about middlebrow masterpieces, cable classics, your classic little lay on the couch, hang out with this little movie you've seen a hundred times before. Um, I'm your host, Brandon. With me, as always, is Charlie. It's me. It's Charlie. Look at him. You can't. I can. And uh, last week, you would have heard us talk about uh, Dazed and Confused, great little uh, stoner coming-of-age movie by Richard Linklater from 1993. Today we're back uh, with another movie. Turns out, who knew? It's a 2003 film from Tim Burton. It's
1: Big Fish. It's Big Fish. Big fish. You're gonna need a bigger fish. You, you're gonna have a hard time finding a bigger fish. It's a uh, Tim Burton's Big Fish. Uh, not, not a guy that I thought we would get to so quickly on this.
0: This might be like the only Burton we ever talk about.
1: Yeah, I'm looking through his filmography, and it's feeling like a definite no for all of the other ones. We we could hit, I think, Beetlejuice for like a Diet Core comedy episode.
0: Yeah, possibly. Yeah, um, Batman '89, maybe. For the most part, not really. I feel like this is a this is a very different movie for Tim Burton. This is like also a different movie for our podcast. This is less a movie about the dad himself uh kind of empowering figure and more about your relationship with your dads broken sons talking about their dads
1: yeah we're flipping the script we're getting literal with it finally movie about dads also the first uh the first weepy we got on here yeah i'm gonna cry on the podcast today i think
0: yeah i i lost it at the ending of this movie um i lost it thinking about the ending at work today yeah I had to like I, I, I wanted to get up and like it was in peak like i have i need to get a snack i'm starving but also now i'm like at my desk tearing up and i can't get up because i do not want anyone to see that my eyes were clearly like welling up a few minutes ago
1: man it's such I'm like to a... sit here
0: in my little corner and hope no one talks to me
1: yeah I was I was shocked at my just like supremely normie reaction to this movie like when it started I was like oh this is cool and silly and then by the end I was like fuck fuck Just like and it's not (laughs) sinking into my couch one it's not uh, like it's masculine uh, rolling down
0: yeah it's not the ending of the movie either it's like it's like literally like the last 20 minutes is just like constant reason to cry yeah and like Usually, I don't really go for like sappy, like sentimental, um, this kind of, kind of maudlin Hollywood sentimentality. But this one like hits me every time.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what it is about it. I thought because like I've seen it a bunch of times. I thought mm-hmm. I was prepared uh, to deal with what was going on. <laughs> I yeah, like not. I know, I know every beat of this movie. I,
0: I've seen this movie a ton of times on TV, and. It's no less effective, and I haven't seen it in like probably fifteen. It's been a minute. It's been like fifteen years. I haven't seen since I was in high school. Um, But I still know every beat of the film, and I know where it's going. I know, I know every twist and turn. And yet, still, when the ending hits, this is this is a real. It's a weepy movie.
1: Yeah, it's it's like you can feel how it's manipulating you and like what it's doing to you but it's just so effective at doing it that knowing that it's happening is not like an effective buffer no. for it working on you but also where
0: it's going is weaved so well into the rest of the movie yeah yeah i mean which i guess I we probably, should talk about it at some point yeah
1: probably shouldn't just jump straight to the end but that is like what you leave the movie with like you <laughs> remember the, the theory the theory parts yeah, now We just spoiled how we felt about this movie. Like, now
0: there's no mystery in our episode.
1: Yeah, I was actually crying because I hated the movie so
0: much. I couldn't stand just how much Tim Burton was manipulating me. I was like, screw this guy. <laughs> he hasn't made a good movie.
1: I was sad at wasting so much time mm-hmm. from my life. But no, this is a Tim Burton's movie about a, a, a Billy Crudup type guy trying to reconnect with his Albert Finney type dad. The the classic story we all know. Your dad's Albert Finney, <laughs> but he's
0: southern. Bullshitter, him. you're a journalist. Uh, do you love him? I don't know.
1: Do you even know him?
0: Do you even know your dad? Does That's... anyone know anyone?
1: Man, I was watching this and I was like, "This isn't me." I love my dad. I know my dad. And then at then I was like, "Man, do I know my dad? Should I call my dad?" I actually had that <laughs> same. I had that same
0: feeling. So I'm like, I got like half on halfway through the movie, I'm I'm like. This is really touching, and I love this movie. But like, my dad and I don't have a distance or anything, right? Like, my dad and I are close. Like, we hang out. Um, and then at the end, it's the same thing. As you I was just like, I was like, man, maybe like, maybe maybe I like need to like fast track getting to know everything about my dad. Yeah, There's for the rest so, so of my life.
1: I don't want to get crud upped. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't mind getting crud upped. He's hot. <laughs> <laughs> he is He's stayed hot man his whole <laughs> cast
0: has stayed hot him it's him and marion Cotillard. it's just like whoa they they used to be young they still they, they're just they don't look bad now they look like they look like aged versions of themselves
1: yeah they're like one, you're still hot
0: today you were hot back then
1: she was one surprise to me going back i didn't remember her being in the movie i guess no. she doesn't really have much to do she's just the french lady but i think last
0: time i watched this i didn't know who she
1: was yeah
0: like, like I like, obviously, like she wasn't like a name to me. Like now you say her and I'm like, oh, yeah, no, obviously, yes, it's Talia al Ghul, right? <laughs> Everyone's favorite uh, one of her roles. Um, but, you yeah, no, I forgot she was in it entirely. His his French wife.
1: Yep, she's French. There's a at the beginning of the movie, they're in Paris together. And you know that they're in Paris because they walk into their apartment with a brown bag with a baguette sticking out of the top of it, which you can't do anywhere else in the world.
0: No, they don't they don't even let you buy a
1: bag out here. Yeah. And if you do buy it, it's
0: got to be in plastic. Yeah. They take it away from you if it's, if it's uncovered in your bag walking on the street. They tear it up. They throw it in the trash. They have to. But you no, know, this is like such a it's a different kind of of Burton movie. It's sort of Burt, Burton's take on a like Spielbergian sincerity
1: movie. Yeah. Well, this was initially going to be a Spielberg movie. I didn't actually know that. Yeah, he was the the original choice to direct it, uh, with Jack Nicholson as the Albert Finney role. Okay. Um, that I don't kind know of if I... fell through. Uh, yeah. he decided to do Catch Me If You Can instead.
0: I don't. Yeah, I I think I like that it went with Finney.
1: Yeah, apparently part of the reason, because like Burton also he's like friends with Nicholson. They had already done movies together and was still attached. Oh, what one? Uh, mars attacks oh cool yeah um (laughs) but uh apparently they they kept trying to work the script so that there was more nicholson in it and it Mm -hmm. just never really came together like that
0: that was my hunch nicholson feels like he's too big of a star for that role Mm -hmm. especially at that time period actually Mm -hmm. at any time period i guess there's no there's no especially for nicholson he kind of never stopped being too big for that role
1: yeah Um, i think with nicholson in that role too like as the script that ended up making it to screen brings such a different uh there's like more of a cynicism i think that could be read into him that isn't he's more of like a sinister guy yeah whereas like it's
0: like Finney can pull off like warm
1: and uh he's almost like childish yeah
0: yeah like a hopeful tra- Albert Finney's performance in this movie, whenever he talks about his memories and he talks about the reason he loves to tell stories, it's that, um, it's the, uh, the flea circus scene in Jurassic park. Mm. It's, it's that like sent that soft, sentimental. I'm a dreamer. Every single time he talks, I don't know that like Nicholson could hit that note that way.
1: Yeah. There's like, or a or that
0: he would like, if he was like a part of the creative control behind the movie that he would want to. Mm. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it definitely wouldn't have that like saccharine melancholy yeah. running through it that it has. I think they, they landed on the right guy ultimately. And uh, that also led to the McGregor. They casted Ewan McGregor and Albert Finney at the same time, like because of their similarities, which I think Ewan McGregor is also great.
0: Something really about. Inspiring
1: british and scottish actors digging into a southern accent i love it non-southern americans trying to do it i usually fucking hate but uh a brit getting real silly with it i i'm usually down with
0: yeah it's uh you know yeah it's like him the the great southern accents are basically ewan mcgregor in this movie
1: daniel craig in knives out also daniel craig in logan lucky (laughs) Yeah, and the the Walking Dead guy. He's British, too, doing a real silly Georgia accent. Yeah. He's funny because he's one of the ones that people talk
0: about as, like, he's one of the best American accents anyone's ever done.
1: Coral! Coral! Yeah, it's good. Yeah.
0: It's a show my dad loves. But yeah, this is a movie about broken boys. Broken homes. Not broken homes, but broken boys. Sad boys. Like, Yeah. Made by sad boys. This was... uh, This is a story of um, a a father that is like a bullshitter. He tells fantastical tall tales to his son, and his son is now an adult. His father is dying of cancer. Cancer.
1: Yeah. They never say directly what it is, but they do say that he has just come off of chemotherapy at the beginning Mm -hmm. of the movie. And he, like, Billy Carter plays his
0: son. He's trying to reconnect with his father. He's trying to get the real side of the stories, which he believes his father's been lying to him his whole life. And it's him trying to reconnect with his dad at the end there and maybe learning that his dad wasn't totally lying and his dad actually cared about him more than he thought.
1: Yeah, I feel like, uh, I mean, to me, that was pretty obvious. I feel like the Billy Crudup character comes off as like weirdly antagonistic and jaded, like given the information that's presented to us.
0: Yeah, it's because of the way the movie's formatted, which is like we watch the vignettes of Ewan McGregor as the younger version of Albert Finney, the younger version of the father going through these grand adventures as an 18 year old And I love that he's playing an 18 year old for like a large chunk of the beginning of the movie.
1: Yeah. Well, he grew really fast. <laughs> so,
0: but like it puts us like on his side and we see his stories and they're so fantastical. And like, obviously we know they're not, he didn't meet a real giant in, in the fiction of this universe. But, um, like we buy into it because it's a it's fun it's like this light-hearted childish storybook adventure and even if like the stories are tall tales i think even from the beginning as an audience it's like i'm on albert finney's side because i'm just like oh he's playing up the stories because he's a storyteller and he's talking to his kid
1: yeah and like i just like mad about it yeah it seems like i mean i get being mad because like the opening conflict is there at they're at some kind of event where it's supposed to be like about billy crudup and his dad ends it's up taking. Wedding. Oh, it's his wedding. Okay. It's his wedding. And his dad's what... giving the
0: toast and is just telling his big fish story.
1: Yeah. Which, like, I mean, I fully understand, like, being annoyed and, like, thinking that that's a shitty thing for your dad to do. But, like, he tells his, his stories. Like, that's what he does. And then it yeah. immediately oh, cuts to, like, we didn't talk to each other for three years. It's like, dude. Dude. For, for that
0: <laughs> and like he is like kind of showboating reaction. at the wedding but the bow he ties on his story is like and this is because the story is like he's trying to catch the biggest fish in 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 the in the, the river and he realizes the only bait it'll take is actually is he thinks it's gold but it turns out it's not gold it's a wedding ring because you got his story is ultimately about in order to catch um an uncatchable girl you have to propose which is like it, his story ends up being this sweet connection back to like the importance of a wedding the importance of love the importance of, of 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 family and um his son just like storms out before he hears the ending the little bow he ties on it
1: yeah he's like oh my dad fucking shithead it's about uh, a shitty son this, is what this movies about charlotte doesn't appreciate nothing. his dad enough it really is like i i think it's a nice touch that uh Billy Crudup does not even have a hint of a southern accent in this, Mm. which is like, as someone who grew up actively trying to not have one, I can connect with that as being like a small thing to help distance yourself from like what you don't like about where you grew up. Yeah, he's also just like he's a journalist. So he's
0: like, he's like a big writer guy. So you can tell like he's the kind of guy who exactly would train himself out of any accent so that, you know, to further his career.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It, I mean, it seems like it whatever he's doing worked worked out for him. Yeah. I like the when they, well, they're in Paris and get the call that his dad's been taken off chemo. He's like probably doesn't have that much long longer left mm-hmm. and they come back home to see him, but also Billy Crudup and Marion Cotillard are having a baby of their own. That's like a a running thing throughout the movie. So it's his Anxiety about becoming a father is another thing that's fueling his desire to get the the real stories out of his dad
0: and to reconnect. He's like he's entering this movie a knowing that he created a distance to his dad and trying to like close it as much as possible. And it's sweet. It's it's very sweet. Like he's trying to reach out and he feels like his dad is being distant. And I get actually get it. Like if your dad only ever talked talk to you in terms of tall tales, like he never told you a story straight through. That'd be frustrating,
1: oh yeah, for sure yeah, yeah, I'm not saying his complaints aren't like understandable. I just it feels like a huge overreaction to, yeah, cut him off completely it I wonder if the book is different, but the movie definitely
0: feels like it puts us so much more into the headspace of Albert Finney, the father, to like relate to him and his stories because so much of the movie is flashbacks to his younger self going on these adventures. And we see his side, which is his side, is like a very sweet, caring guy who goes out of his way to help everyone he meets as much as he can. Yeah, who is also like the best and strongest and greatest he's person the ever, star
1: of the world.
0: Um, he's the he's the universe's protagonist, but also like as a, this kind, caring guy. So, it kind of puts he's so charming too. He kind of puts you on his side, and we don't we don't get to watch up grow up with like this distant father. So, like I, the movie maybe it's just through the act of being a movie really does put us on the father's side more than the sons.
1: Yeah. And I mean, you get little bits about how like of exposition from Billy Crudup where like Albert Finney was a a traveling salesman. He was like not present that often through his childhood either. He sold the Terminator hand. Yeah. He sold the Terminator hand novelty products. But yeah, you get, you do get bits into like, why he is so frustrated with his relationship of his dad. But yeah, like all of the cinematic elements are, are pointing you in the dad's direction and putting you in his, in his corner. It's, it, you know, it's like the
0: classic quote is you, you cannot make an anti-dad movie.
1: <laughs> Just putting a dad on screen is endorsement.
0: Yeah. Just look at Royal Tenenbaums too. Yeah. Can't not love him. Sorry. Don't care
1: cool dad gene hackman
0: cool dad gene hackman
1: oh and all throughout his uh his story is that his his original story of being a little kid is that he saw into a witch's eye and knows how he's going mm-hmm. to die and that's why he can do all of this stuff because he knows that like no matter what happens he's not going to die except for in the way that he saw in the eye of the witch which is cool it's a funny yeah. thing it seems like a very dad bit to just have like a running bit through your whole life where you're like, oh, this—I've seen how I go. This isn't it.
0: Yeah, he crafted like a. His stories craft like this complicated mythology in a consistent world that he comes back to. The way that he tells it to up, his son, is um, very good. He's a, he's a very good storyteller. He's a, he's a tall talesman.
1: Yeah, you get why he does it. He rocks at it. He has like a he whole personal mythology that's like internally consistent. Ooh, before we move away from the witch's eye bit. I didn't actually look this up, so it could be completely wrong, but I'm almost 100% positive that one of the little kids is Miley Cyrus.
0: Yes. I had the cast up in front of me. You're correct.
1: Hell yeah. Man. I think she has maybe one line. She
0: was eight of the... I didn't recognize her. I'm always on... She was eight at the time.
1: Always scanning the frame for Miley Cyrus. When Miley Cyrus <laughs> is on screen, it. you should be asking, where is Miley Cyrus?
0: I'm always asking about that about, about Billy Ray Cyrus.
1: I didn't I didn't clock him in this one. No, he he's not in this there, one,
0: sadly. No. He's in Moholland Drive. Check that out. Billy Ray Cyrus fans listening right now.
1: Dude, one of the other kids though ends up being a recurring character in his life story. The guy who dies in the shitter reading a Playboy? Yeah, the guy that dies drinking off. I don't know why this movie hates that fucking guy so much. <laughs> he's he's just like a little 11 year old he looks in a witch's eye and it's like dude you're
0: gonna die reading a playboy and jerking off (laughs) you're like in your 20s it's it's really yeah because like the first kid who looks in her eyes like i died really old and then he's like i wasn't old at all
1: yeah and uh then there's like a montage of uh ewan mcgregor being good at like every sport and Mm -hmm. that guy not being good and sucking, and it's
0: specifically him the whole time.
1: Yes, like everything it's they like, do, he's in the background like sulking.
0: Yeah, it's after Ewan McGregor goes through three years of growth, so he looks like a thirty-year-old at, at the age of eighteen. Um, <laughs> he's then dominating he,
1: like, the Ashton High School sports scene.
0: Yeah, and then like the the quote is like the the narration talks about how like he decided to be the best at everything and to be as big as possible because he realized he's like a goldfish and he's growing big because he's in the world is such a big tank and he's supposed to be intended for bigger things. And he like opens up his own, like uh lawn care business. And then he becomes the King of every sport. Yeah. And at the, like, while, like, the cucked guy is like sitting on the sidelines not being used in the game he wins a science fair with like a big pb herman rube goldberg machine Uh whereas like the 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 guy who's like is his rival is like has like a little potted plant yeah that's like so he's dumb too he's not good
1: at science he grew a plant and then like uh skipping ahead a little bit oh he
0: firefighted too ewan mcgregor firefights like someone's like in a burning building and he saves them he's the best at everything
1: and then when He, like, we'll get to more into it a little later, but when he meets his future wife, she's engaged to him, and he says, wow, I come all this way to find out she's already engaged to one of the biggest jerks in Ashton. I was like, what the fuck
0: did this guy? He didn't do anything. Yeah, he's he's not a jerk on screen once, but he gets it's like, I, I'll take your word for it. But all I saw was you being a jerk to him in a in a playful montage where you ruined his life.
1: Yeah. And then he's like, he won the fight, but I won the war because he died later. Like, I don't. It's so fucking funny. This movie just has this shitty character that it dumps on. <laughs> and uh, the <laughs> actor is the guy did. from
0: The Office, right?
1: Yep. Yeah. Roy's or Pam's fiance. So he, it's just he, a,
0: it's just a trend in his career
1: yeah he was trying out being a cucked fiance first you know every actor has to have their niche so <laughs> he's the guy you go he, if you need your you fiance stolen but yeah he does all that stuff and then uh there's a giant in town that he has to go deal with yeah there's a there's a giant who's eating the sheep and so
0: he has to go fight the
1: giant because i mean this is like a a sappy tearjerker movie but it is still a tim burton movie so you're gonna have the freaks walking around getting some love
0: yeah it's a classic like tim burton story of like outcasts that find you know family together yeah so you know ewan mcgregor feels like he's an outcast but he's an outcast because he's the coolest he's and too smartest cool. and the greatest and he's too big and too important to be in a small town that's what makes him an, an outcast it's just he's better than everybody. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> um, like, no, giant man. I'm just like you. I got to get out of here, too. I'm just like you. I'm normal height. I'm hot. I am really smart and strong and uh, driven. And I love my wife. And we're going to go. And I'm just like you. So let's go. And then they decide to go to the big city.
1: To the circus. Yeah, the big city of Auburn, Alabama. <laughs> That's like another thing that I loved about this movie is like, I'm too. I'm too much of a big deal for my little hometown. I need to get out into the world. And he just—he never leaves Alabama. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, he doesn't go. To, he doesn't go to New York or something.
1: Yeah, he's not. He's not too good for Alabama. He's just too good yeah. for Ashton, Alabama. He's meant for bigger things, but not that big.
0: Yeah. He's a
1: goldfish, not a whale. A big fish. Yeah, and that. Starts us off on his just series of magical vignettes.
0: And this movie is mostly vignettes. It's all, it's every story that, that uh, the father
1: ever told his son. Yeah. with How they wrapped magic. together. There's a bunch of yeah. Danny DeVito's, a werewolf guy. And uh, there's a, a magical small town with the deliverance banjo guy hanging out in it. Yeah. he yeah, And the way out with a
0: giant, he splits, he splits paths and he decides to go to down the spooky path, which takes him to a magical town. That it was expecting him, Spectre. and Steve Buscemi's
1: there, and they steal his shoes. He's the poet. He's the greatest poet from Ashton.
0: He is the greatest poet from Ashton. He, he and his great poem was "The grass so green,
1: <laughs> sky so blue." Specter is really good. <laughs> <laughs> That's why he never shows someone a work in progress. He he's so good. Steve Buscemi is really fucking funny in this.
0: Yeah, like there's a great scene in the town when they're trying to woo Ewan McGregor into staying there. Where they're doing it, they're doing a dance, and he's dancing with a little girl, and then it switches, and he's dancing with the like mayor, yeah, and then the shemi's in the yeah. background, not dancing with anyone, but just like in the background, jumping around trying to get his attention. Like it's like everyone in town is in love with and McGregor.
1: <laughs> they really, really want him to stay
0: there. And the weird thing about that town, I mean, other than like the fact that they steal your shoes and it's perfect, and stupid shemi's there and they plan for you to arrive the weirdest thing is that there's like a little girl that keeps hitting on him
1: yeah there's like this
0: this eight-year-old is trying to groom him
1: they do some weird age gap stuff where she's like i'm eight and you're 18 that's a lot but when i'm 38 you'll only be 48 and that's not very much (laughs) she yeah she's trying to
0: groom him. she's trying to lock him down right now like you're gonna come back right we're gonna get married
1: but then this movie does come back around being anti-age gap because he no, meets scary. her later and she's like, Oh yeah, when I was 18 I married a 28-year-old and it was a big gap and it didn't work out.
0: Yeah. It's just such a funny scene for like this little girl to be like, We're gonna get married. Yeah. And of course, it's it's a story that the dad's telling, and the point of her little age gap thing is the idea that even with temptation of someone of like someone telling him a different fate, he knew his fate was different. Cause he's such a wife guy. The most important thing about Albert Finney.
1: And you and McGregor, same character, is that they love their wife.
0: Yeah. Only the in,
1: one wife. He was in pre wife guy phase at that. He didn't know who his wife was, but he knew that he still had to be true to whoever that person would yeah. be. That was his big fish. And there's a a fish in outside of Spectre that appears to him as a naked woman. Mm-hmm. We don't see her face, right? No. We just see her buns.
0: I was wondering if she is um the wife.
1: Jessica Lang? or yeah. Alison the Loman the younger version
0: of her who I don't know who that uh she's Alison in... Loman yeah who looks a lot like Jessica Lane
1: yeah i just know her from drag me to hell <laughs> which is a good ass movie i
0: haven't seen it in a while
1: yeah i like they are both wife guys for sure i like that they both have very different but very like romantic conceptions of their wives that like The Albert Finney character spends the whole time, like, building up this, like, supremely classically romantic story about his journey to find and then, like, please his wife. Mm. But then the whole crud up story, like, you get a, a more realistic look at, like, what romantic love looks like of just, like, being normal with someone.
0: Yeah. And caring very clearly caring deeply about them, and like when they come to the one disagreement they had was over like how romantic his dad's stories were. Like, I think like this they thread this note into like I think it's in the first thirty minutes or something like that, where his wife, Billy Carp's wife, um talks to Finney for the first time, she's like giving him water, and he's telling her a story. um and she loves the story. I think it's a story about how he went to war, so it's about half the of the movie actually, and she loves that story. And she goes and she tells her husband about it. She tells Billy Crudup about it, and she's like, "You never told me this happened." But how dedicated your father was to, to to your mother, and he goes, "None of it happened." And she goes, "Yeah, but it's sweet." Yeah, you know. And he tells her that he's not going to argue with the French one, but romanticism, like, mm-hmm. there it, very, it threads this very early on of like, the uh, she under his wife understands that his dad's stories are emotionally true, if not literally true, and right. like when that disagreement happens, he's just like. Whatever you say, like, I'm deferring to you because I love you. Yeah. It's it's a sweet moment between the two of them, even though they disagree about his father.
1: I think it does a lot, too, to, like, color why Billy Credup is so done with these stories, that, like, he has, like, real-life good romantic love, like, happening yeah. for him. So he doesn't need the, like, overblown... Story version of it, like he's got the real thing talking to him there in bed with him. So like, there's no real reason to indulge in Mm -hmm. like his dad's hyperbolic.
0: He's also heard all the stories a hundred times.
1: Yeah, right. But he can't tell them right.
0: No, he cuts out all the good parts.
1: Yeah, man. The war when he goes to war, I where I mean, there in between that, there's a he joins the circus and works for Danny DeVito, who's a werewolf.
0: The circus is really fun. That is like the most Bertonian thing in the movie, maybe of just like, oh, it's the circus. It's like the literal collection of of uh, weirdos and outcasts. Yeah. Um, Where like he works. He is such a wife guy that in his first day at the circus, he spots a woman who he instantly falls in love with and knows that's his wife. He becomes a wife guy for her before he's ever talked to her.
1: And then that sequence is so. Good. The time stopping one? Yeah. Oh, when you man. fall in love, time stops. No one tells you this. So incredibly good looking and like romantic. And all of the all the story flashback bits have this like really bright and gauzy effect over them. Like everyone's shining and glowing throughout the sequences. But him just like walking through the motionless set to his future wife is so sweet and so nice. It's adorable. It got me. Yeah, it, it it really does
0: well you up. And then it, and then it hits you with the goofy punchline of Wait, once he reaches her. It's like no one tells you that once time starts up again, it goes double speed to catch up. So he never gets to talk to her because she gets home before he's uh, even aware.
1: Yeah. And then he has to work for free for Danny DeVito. Yeah,
0: it's. It's really funny that the movie has, like... it Danny even is, like, a sweet character, and at the same time, it does not stop him from being, like, a manipulative and evil circus guy. Because yeah. <laughs> he signs the giant to a contract he's so impressed by him. And he's like, do you know what involuntary servitude means? <laughs> and the guy's like, no. He's like, good, sign this contract.
1: <laughs> and, like, he... Ewan McGregor agrees to work for him if every month he gives him a bit of information about his future wife. But the shit he's telling him, he's like... She likes music. <laughs> it's like, yeah, dude, everyone likes music. But she likes music. She likes daffodils and music. And The way he's delivering all those bits is really funny, too. Sounds it's... like he's making them up. Billy likes to drink soda. Miss Lippy's car is green. That's what it reminded me of. It's the Billy Madison bit. Mm-hmm. It comes off like he's making it up.
0: It comes off like. Because the first time he does it, you remember is like, I have been working here a month. And the guy's like, oh, yeah, uh, she likes daffodils. Ah, throws it. He loves it. He loves hearing that. And that is that is, I think, for me, the funniest section of the movie. And it plays with, uh, I think, Burton style really well, where he's like he fawns over whatever new piece of information he gets. He gets like, oh, da- daffodils, it's beautiful. And then it's always a close up of his face as he's like yearning for her and, and repeating the information he was just given. And then it zooms out and it's like, oh, he's inside a cannon or yeah. oh, he's in the center of a motorcycle cage and motorcycles are driving around him. You see or he's, act- his
1: head is in a lion's mouth. You see actual shit coming out of an elephant's asshole in this movie yeah like you actually see an elephant defecating while he's like beaming hearing that she fucking goes to college or whatever
0: <laughs>
1: she goes to college
0: not what she goes to college for <laughs> yeah
1: she goes she goes she to, to college yeah. she likes music uh you find out that david a werewolf and you get a real nice ass shot of him too well it's really good about the werewolf scene so this is now this is the second movie In which Albert
0: Finney has a character that has to fight a werewolf after his werewolf movie in the 80s, Wolfen, where he's a detective investigating werewolf crimes.
1: Ah, He's just scanning scripts for werewolves and saying yes Yes. to all of them. He, He was
0: disappointed when he found out that his actual, his aged dad version of the character doesn't fight the werewolf. He was like, he wanted to be in the werewolf scene, but Burton said no. God damn it. Why am I doing this damn picture? the only reason i signed he tricked him burton told me he could have the werewolf scene when he signed on and he was like "Mm, gotcha you gotta read the fine print you didn't read the fine
1: print buddy we did rewrites devito's little uh number two henchman is the oompa loompa guy
0: i didn't see burton's uh
1: oh that guy his like little silent friend plays every oompa loompa in the burton wonka i love that his i love that his little silent friend has a gun inside yeah. his costume he's ready to put him down like immediately i love he like walks out sees that he's a werewolf opens up a piece of his costume has a big revolver and then it just cuts to one tear rolling down his face it's the center of his costume like rotates and it has
0: a gun chest in it with one <laughs> bullet and one in a revolver <laughs> yeah, yeah like that picture of him with a tear rolling down his face that's like that is going to replace the uh classic um the wesley snipes reaction the wesley snipes reaction, yeah.
1: <laughs> send that to send that to tony hawk now yeah when you gotta put tony hawk down that oompa loompa guy crying <laughs> <laughs> you there's a, a bunch of good burton shit in here yeah the we skipped over the birth but he gets
0: <laughs>
1: he gets birthed
0: and he slides down the fucking hospital uh hallway like a slip and slide yeah he just shoots out of the thing like a flume.
1: Yeah, there's like um, before he leaves the town initially when he's in high school, he has like his lawn mowing business and it has like everyone synchronized coming down the driveways mm. of the houses that looks very like Edward Scissorhands. Yeah, very, very Tim Burton-y looking shot. Yeah, Tim Burton's very good at capturing.
0: I guess not capturing because it's not a real thing, but um, he's very good at evoking this uncanny suburban aesthetic he has, an un- he has a very like uncanny gothic version of suburbia uh-huh. that uh, that scene evokes in a way that like the rest of the movie doesn't this movie isn't suburbia but that scene's very like classically said Edward Hands kind of a bit
1: yeah he's definitely got like a thing about um, finding like 50s suburbia and particularly like very creepy but in a way that's like very playful he doesn't put like a cynicism or uh, like a, a sinister aspect to it
0: It's like a playful creepiness.
1: Yeah, it's fun. It's that he thinks it's creepy, but he thinks that creepy things are fun.
0: Yeah. It's like, this is obviously why you'd want to get out of town because it's so boring, but it is kind of like a silly thing to play with.
1: Yeah, it's a really, really good balance of like traditional like Hollywood melodramatic sentiment and weird Burton shit. Yeah, the structure of the movie where it's cutting between these tall tales and then like
0: real-world father-son bonding um, works in his advantage because he can have this, like, grounded story of up and Finny trying to find a connection. Um, and then we can cut to, like, fantastical, a gothic uh, fairy tale storytelling with all of uh, the father stories.
1: It makes the frame story, I like, I think that really helps to make it so impactful because all of that stuff is, like, very locked down and, like, just very kind of -of matter-of-factly shot juxtaposed Mm -hmm. with like the really gauzy fantastical sequences in between and having that allows
0: the flashbacks to hit these really broad big emotional beats where they can hit at an emotional truth very quickly in a way that if they were grounded stories wouldn't right and then while still letting those emotional beats feed back into what is a very grounded and relatable father-son dynamic right it's it's the structure i think is just like really smart
1: yeah it really it really works for me for sure yeah yeah one very non-britney thing to me and this was uh he has danny elfman on the score but it does not sound like an Elfman score. No. Like, I think it's... This is before he kind of settled in, I think. I mean, he had been...
0: He'd been at it for a while. Oh, I and meant, like, you know, before he started doing, like, the same score for Burton.
1: I mean, he had already done, like, Batman and mm-hmm. Nightmare Before Christmas. Uh, what? When did Spider-Man come out? Spider-Man was before this. Two years before this. I don't know. It's This score was just, like so dialed back and not like bombastic it's like a very sweet and like magical tone to all of it 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 plays really really well i'm really glad that he didn't try to do his normal like in your face stuff for this same thing with the burton like the burton aesthetics are scaled back
0: dialed back like this movie is not as wild visually as he has been in previous movies and in movies afterward and that the balance that he hits between like like, as is, is weird and as, as wacky as these tall tales can get and as out there and fantastical as the characters can be, the world they're in, like, Spectre doesn't, isn't, like, a real town. It's magical. But, like, the buildings look real. They look like normal buildings. It's uncanny that they exist inside of this, like, magical space in the middle of a forest. But the buildings aren't, like, fantastically designed or something they're For not sure. like at an angle they're not except at one point yeah. they're not at like at, at weird angles and whatnot Like they're they're not they, they look like they could exist most of the places in this movie
1: yeah i think like there's a lot of burton stuff in this but if i had to choose a movie to show someone as being like representative of what his thing is this would be really far down on the list yeah. like not indicative of what his normal shit is all about mm-hmm.
0: But I think that's what makes it work. There's something about like this being sort of the the dialed back version of Burton's stylism. Like it, it to make the emotional beats play the way they do. I think that's like the right choice because it, it the aesthetics don't end up distracting.
1: Yeah, and uh, like if you take away the magical elements and do just like a more straight sent, like how I would imagine like a a Ron Howard or like a Robert Even Redford. Spielberg or even Spielberg version of this movie, you you get Forrest Gump.
0: Yeah. Everyone's favorite movie.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so much of this feels like Forrest Gump if everyone had been making better decisions the entire time. It's,
0: um... I mean, you said on Letterboxd, it's the yassified Forrest Gump.
1: It is. Yeah. It is. It's, uh... Auburn saw the University of Alabama propaganda happening with Forrest Gump and had to counteract it immediately.
0: (laughs) But, you know, it it is the like, it is very Forrest Gumpy in that it's a guy whose stories involve him in a lot of the biggest events, except they're events that he made up and they're all fantastical. So there isn't this like play to nostalgia that doesn't work for me with Forrest Gump where it's like, oh, these are events you remember when we put a character in, which kind of to me in Forrest Gump always felt like sort of like a, a... emotional shortcut to be like we related him to events you already have emotional connections to. Whereas right. this movie is like, they're, they're all new events. They're all fantastical and, and brand new aesthetics and characters we've invented, we've invented for this story that we're telling.
1: And like uh, I think it plays better to have like these stories aren't even real in the universe of the movie. Yeah. Like it's ultra fantastical. We're not trying to like convince you that all of this like, fucking bullshit stuff I think goofy ass southern guy really happened. because the... it's a
0: movie about storytelling. It's not a movie about like things that have actually happened to an individual. It's a, it's a movie about the kind of tales we tell about ourselves, the, the self mythologizing that people do, especially <laughs> in their older age, especially when talking about themselves to uh, you know a child.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's definitely telling a different s- s- story than
0: Forrest. Forrest Gump is. Yeah, Forrest Gump is not about the way people mythologize their own stories.
1: But there, there's some father-son father stuff going on yeah. in that movie too. I don't know. Well, like Forrest Gump, yeah. like the
0: exact same structure of that movie could have, but like there, it's, it's not a very um, long trek to reframe that movie into a movie that's about storytelling.
1: Mm-hmm. Although, imagine if Sinekus
0: made this movie
1: with his creepy CG people. It would be weird. It would be bad. I, I kind of wish Burton had done more like Southern Gothic type stuff. He should
0: adapt, um, the American Gothic painting. Let's do it. We're adapting everything these days. Let's adapt
1: paintings. Into a movies. painting. He did a painting movie, uh, Big Eyes. Oh, I forgot that happened. I think that's about a I, painter, right? I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it either.
0: But yeah, no, it is about uh, this artist. I forget her name, but
1: the during the war sequence when he goes to Korea, in a uh, in the plane, he's like learning Korean. But the dictionary that he's reading says English to Asian Dictionary.
0: I'm tugging on my collar for, for <laughs> listeners. I'm making a big a big motion um, that this is uncomfortable knowledge. Yikes. Uh, yeah, no, the, the way that it um, handles language, uh, I'm choosing to interpret as the father being ignorant and dumb. And he's not just making Tim his,
1: Burton. He's making a story more universal. Yeah. It this sure. could have happened anywhere. But they also
0: don't subtitle any of the 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 other language in the movie.
1: Did they? I watched it on Netflix and I noticed that and I thought that something was wrong, and I turned on subtitles. And it
0: just says foreign language.
1: No, it did it had it subtitled. Like in oh, English. Did? Yeah. Oh. I don't know. Okay,
0: I turned on subtitles and it just said speaking foreign language
1: oh I don't know there was like uh, two different subtitle did you watch it on Netflix
0: I did watch it on Netflix
1: yeah there were like two different subtitle options um
0: did you pick the first one no so I picked the second one and why maybe it was a scene I did like because I got I got curious and it was the scene where he's hiding in the dressing room so yeah I turned it, it on for that scene and it said speaking foreign language
1: oh weird I mean they they were subtitles that if you if you want to go back, they're there. I, I picked up what they
0: were implying
1: in those scenes just yeah, fine. They're, they're saying what you assume they're saying. Uh Bob you Ho- in here? Bob Hope just means Bob Hope. That's yeah. That's the same in both languages.
0: <laughs> it's it's one of the only universal words. Every language has it.
1: he like he they seem like he well, if anyone hasn't seen the movie, he's meets um these like korean uh, conjoined twins and it seems like they have an okay gig going and he tells him that he knows like a promoter back in the US but he's just talking about the circus guy right i mean that seems i think so uncool <laughs> uncool they don't do.
0: yeah like he doesn't know any other promoters that they show in the movie so i think i think he was just going to sell them to the circus
1: yeah that's what it seems like. She's maybe not great, not cool, but it seems like it works out for them. They seem happy. One of them, it seems like, hooks up with Steve Buscemi. This movie. That we are, we're all so lucky. A very like strange subplot about like how like land speculation and like banking is yeah. evil. Yeah. It's like <laughs> weird. Yeah, because when he gets home.
0: From the war, he uh, is that when he goes to the bank and he finds,
1: yeah, that's he becomes a traveling salesman because he's pronounced dead and he can't get a normal job when he gets back from the war because he's like legally dead for a while, yeah. But so he goes to the bank with his traveling salesman money because it says like every like two
0: weeks or whatever, he goes to the bank and he gets to deposit the money so his wife can get it from the bank account back home. And he's like in Texas and he goes to the bank and there's Steve Buscemi, the poet who was trapped in the magical village that he saw before. And he's like, you inspired me to leave. And now I'm a traveling, I'm a wanderer like you, buddy. I'm going, I'm a man of the world. And then he's like, Oh cool. Why are you at the bank? I'm robbing it.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> yep. And then he helps them out. Yeah. I mean, you and Gregor's a nice guy. So he helps him to rob the bank.
1: He's his buddy. But the bank
0: doesn't have any money. And that's where like the weird thread you mentioned comes in. Cause the bank's like, yeah, it turns out due to like land speculation because of like the oil industry buying up land in Texas. Now, like the bank's out of money because real estate interest took all the money.
1: Yeah, and crash the goes, economy
0: or something. I don't understand economics.
1: I don't think this movie does either. So I yeah. think you're good there. But it does. Uh, uh after they rob the bank, and he like explains to him what's going on with land speculation and like Mm -hmm. uh savings and loans banks steve buscemi is like oh okay i'll just quit robbing banks and go to wall street because that's That's where the real criminals are he says (laughs) and for like a half second
0: for that scene actually i thought he meant he was going to go rob wall street and become like bane yeah (laughs) he was gonna walk in and shoot up he's gonna just go uh make a bunch of trades after taking the place hostage
1: yeah but no it turns out he
0: became an investor (laughs)
1: yeah and is apparently very good at it immediately i mean
0: all you need is i guess like with his skill set if he ever lost out out on like an investment he could get the money back by robbing a place money's easy to get
1: yeah and and unless you're inspector i guess because he's like after steve buscemi like robs a bank or whatever he goes back to the town of specter which is all run down and shitty. And he's like, oh, they built a new road that went by Spectre. And the road brought banks and commerce, which now means everyone is like broke and everything's yeah. shut down for some reason. The movie's just like, banks are it's like, the father hates banks apparently. Yeah, like apparently a bank comes to Spectre. And then within like a few months, everyone's houses are being sold at auction. So, so he the father buys them all. He just buys every house. He's like he
0: owns the town now. He's the town's, I don't know, proprietor.
1: Yeah, And
0: he doesn't make them pay rent. He's like, yeah, they're like his serfs, except they don't have to do anything.
1: Yeah, and then that gets into an interesting part of the movie where he, uh, Billy Crudup, goes to talk to. Uh, he like finds the deed to some land inspector, and he goes out to like find out what is going on and there's a piano teacher there who was the little girl that was like hitting on his dad when she was eight years old and she's and he's Helena like, bonham carter she is helena bonham carter
0: which is probably her best role in a burton movie that i've seen like she it, it is it actually was like there's it's a real character there of this person whose life kind of disappeared off from under her who has her own agency she fights against Uh, The father buying her land initially, like in the flashback. She doesn't Mm -hmm. want him to buy it.
1: Which, like, why the the whole point of him buying the land is so that people can live there. If she's not having any trouble, why the fuck does he want to buy it so bad? I don't understand that. That was her thing. She was like,
0: she's like a spurned lover. She's like, you were supposed to come back. You didn't come back. Like, I need, I just need you to
1: leave me alone.
0: I don't know. She's a good role for her. Also, she's a witch.
1: Yeah. I just, I like, I, I liked how. Billy Crudup is immediately like, were you having an affair with my dad? Yeah. He, his, his instinct
0: when he finds the deed is, well, cause like his dad was always gone. Cause he has a traveling salesman. His dad's never at home. And when his dad is around, he's telling these tall tales about what he was doing when he was gone. And so his instinct is my father had another life somewhere, like an affair, had another home. And like, that's a thing that apparently happens. People uh, have two families somehow. I don't yeah. know where you find the time. I don't know how that works. But that's what Crudup assumes. And he gets there and she's just like, no, like your father's just the kindest man to ever live.
1: Yeah, that I mean, that seemed like a big leap for me. I was like, all right, I get you don't like what your dad's all about, but you're just going to assume that he's like cheating on your mom?
0: I get being suspicious if your dad's on the road all the time and lies and you find a a deed you didn't know about. Your dad owns another home that you never knew about. And it's hidden. And he finds it in the documents. It's hidden in like a drawer after drawer in his father's office
1: i guess too you're like man this guy spends an awful lot of time like telling this fake story about how much he likes his wife yeah (laughs) what is he is this like a guilt thing yeah but yeah he finds the deed after they find like a letter pronouncing him dead from the war which is our first hint at like oh maybe there is something these aren't like total fabrications as much as yeah, his this. mom finds it and she's like oh it's your father's letter from the war and he's like what that happened
0: which <laughs> means he's never once asked his mom like was dad's stories true yeah but his mom's like yeah no
1: not everything your dad says is a lie you idiot he finds the thing and he's like wait the korean war was real <laughs> I thought was I thought something... dad made that up <laughs> I that was something my dad made up <laughs> man
0: well you mean like mash happened
1: Next, you, wait, are fish real too? <laughs> Mom is a circus real dad, dad he' extremely too, right? fucked up. He has no clue what's real He has no he doesn't know what the fiction reality is anymore. <laughs> He's been fully mentally destroyed by his dad. okay,
0: do elephants poop that is it, is elephants
1: poop right like are elephants real? are elephants real?
0: uh, you know what I just realized like, this means like he told his son that detail then about like the elephant pooping. Yeah, because <laughs> that's part of the story we see. I must assume that he told his son in graphic detail. So I was repeating the word daffodils and then to my left was an <laughs> elephant and it took a massive dump. Son, you must understand. You must understand just how big this was.
1: Those are the good parts that he gets mad when he leaves them out when he tells the story.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, when he was telling the his son's wife, he doesn't tell him. He doesn't tell him right. That's what he meant. His son leaves out all the poop. He leaves out the part where I slid across the hallway as a baby. (laughs) He leaves. My son always leaves out the part where the eight-year-old hits on me.
1: Yeah, that part too was interesting because he's like, were you having an affair with my father? And she's like, I don't know how much I should tell you because you have this conception of your dad and I don't know if it's like after all this time if it's right for me to mess with that. Which like, after she's done telling the story, it's like, What was she even saying? Like, oh, you think your dad's like an adulterer. I don't want to ruin that for you with the truth. Yeah, exactly. Like, Yeah, it's one thing if he loved his
0: dad and she had bad news. But he's like, (laughs) I fucking hate my dad. I think he's the world's biggest piece of shit. He doesn't hate that. He's like, I think my dad's a liar. I think my dad's been lying to me my entire life. I think my dad's the most liar a liar's ever been. And she's like, well... You know, it wouldn't be fair for me to tell you that your dad's <laughs> a sweetheart who loves everybody and who saved my town. Yeah. He saved my life. He fixed my fair.
1: house and was very nice to me and wasn't trying to like, uh, you know, use it as like sexual a sexual currency.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's like, your dad's not a pedophile. that That's her story.
1: Yeah. Just prefacing all of that with like, I don't know if it's right for me to ruin this idea you have of your dad.
0: You you think your dad tried to date someone 10 years younger, but
1: he didn't. It's, not, it's sadly not true. Yeah.
0: You think your dad tried to licorice pizza me, but...
1: Man, that part's back. like intercut with the Albert and really Jessica though. laying in the bathtub part, which is very sweet. Both,
0: yeah. So, like, one more note on the Hellebano Carter, like, telling the story. It's, it's very sweet. Like, it's a very sweet story because she's talking about how like the town was going under the, he came in and bought it for them. Like he saved them and he tells him, she, she tells the son, you know um, also I was like the witch in your dad's story. The witch from his dad was a kid and -hmm. Billy Craddle like, how could you be the witch? You're 10 years younger than me. You weren't alive when that story happened. And she goes, no, it makes perfect sense. If you understand how your dad's mind works in your dad's mind, there are two women in the world. There's your mom and there's everybody else. And so I am the witch from his childhood because every woman he's ever met is the witch from his childhood. Everyone who's not your mom is every other woman because the only woman that ever meant anything to him was your mom. Like the story she tells him is like your father loves nothing more than you and your mother and everything he ever did was for you two.
1: Yeah. It's like really heartbreaking yeah. because he like what Billy Crudup is so upset about is that like, in this grand story that he always tells about his birth, that he's like a footnote in the story of, in his dad's story of his own birth. And then he goes and talks to this lady who's like, all of the like real times that I had with your dad were like, make believe because like you were the real thing to him. man.
0: And that's, that's the theme of Billy Crump investigating his dad's stories is what he finds out every step of the way is every fabrication that his dad ever made up was in service of heightening the emotional punch of stories about how much he loves his, his wife and son. Yeah. And nothing matters to him more. And it's incredible learning that like the distance his father had from him, his whole life that he thought was distant was his dad's way of showing just how much he cared.
1: Yeah. Like, cause you get the really sweet, um, like while he's out doing this, Albert Finney has a stroke And he's, like, in the hospital. And when Billy Crudup goes to the hospital, their, like, family doctor is there. And he's like, oh, you want to know the real story of your birth? You were just born a week early. You were fine. Your dad was out of town. Like... Yeah. He says... And he even makes the point that, like, your dad was on a business
0: trip. He was doing sales. And even if he could have been there, even if he could have been in the hospital with you, back then, men weren't allowed in the delivery room. So nothing would have changed. He wouldn't have been able to see you anyway. But... The implication being your dad made up this grand story about catching a big fish that represented how much he loved you and your mom because he didn't want the story of your birth to be work kept him away. Even though the ultimate thing, if work didn't keep him away, would be him sitting in the other room while you were born. To him, that not being able to be in the other room while you were born is like such a great pain in his life that he'd rather live in a different story he had a grand adventure in service of how much he loves you and your mom
1: yeah like no version of the actual story conveys like the importance of what happened like yeah. in the way that he feels it yeah in, and because the emotional punch of the of the fish story when you recontextualize it with the fact that he could not be
0: home is wait a minute to catch this big fish this big dream that he has um he uses the wedding ring to catch it and that almost loses the wedding ring. And it's like remembering that what's important is the wedding ring above all else. And you shouldn't put that on the line for anything else. And it's about like, maybe I should have been home to see my son's birth instead of being at work. And, and maybe what's most important is the love in your life and your family. And like, it's such a sweet thing. And I, I think that part like breaks crud up in the movie. Like, cause, like you, you that's the part where the gears start turning and he starts to realize who his dad is. He <laughs> thanks the doctor for the story
1: and like you have earlier in the movie where he's like please just tell me like a true thing and he's like i've been giving you me like my for the whole time you've been alive and like if you feel like that's not the case like that's your fault like Mm -hmm. so like yeah when it when it finally does like click with him what is happening it's like oh man it's really powerful
0: that it's like that scene to the end of the movie is just wrecks
1: me, and that's yeah. like the whole last
0: 30 minutes,
1: man. Yeah, it's so much, <laughs>
0: but um, yeah, just skip, skip real quick. Uh, when he was getting when Billy Crudup was getting the story about the town from Hella Bonham Carter, you said, you know, the intercut with that scene is Albert Finney and Jessica Lange in a bathtub, and they're having a sweet moment where like. Finney's talking about how he's in the bathtub because he's all dried up, I think is what he said. Yeah, um, I, did,
1: I had to dry out. He's got yeah. uh the whole movie he has like this physical connection to water, like he's always thirsty and he's like very elemental.
0: Yeah. And he uh it's them in the bathtub just like embracing each other and it's it's touching. It's extremely sweet and extremely touching. It's them just like being together for what implicitly is like Maybe a final moment of intimacy, as they both know they're nearing the end.
1: Yeah, her, her and it's character. like it's
0: like here he is, like in the current day, still dedicating this moment with his wife, and just like this is how connected they are and how much in love they are. While at the same time, Billy Crudup is realizing just how much that is true throughout his father's
1: entire life. Yeah, her character is really, really interesting because, like you said before. Like, oh, I guess there was at no point when she, like, articulated that, like, yeah, a lot of this stuff is at least based on real events. Like, a lot of this is at least partially true. It's just that, like, she is so keyed into and okay with his whole thing that, like, it makes sense that she wouldn't, like, undercut him in that way of, like, you know, telling her son explicitly of, like, what actually happened she's not interested in like undermining what he has built up for them
0: yeah she understands the emotional truth of his story it's like what he's getting at
1: yeah it's really really sweet and like really speaks to the like connection that they have without yeah. actually having to have many like character moments spelling it out for you
0: yeah and it, the Lange's performance is really good because there's not a lot of like Current, Because so much of the movie's flashbacks There's not a lot of current day with her But what she is doing is is very good on screen She's very effective
1: Yeah and then Albert Finney Comes out of his coma and Billy Crudup's The only one there and has to tell him What he saw in the witch's eye
0: Yeah because Albert Finney asks him like tell him one last story Tell me the story tell me the story of what I Of how I die and Crudup's like I don't know you never told me that one And he has to make it up And for the first time, the son has to tell the story and he tells his dad his own story. He makes it up himself and it's about his dad magically getting better and then he takes his dad to the river where he caught the big fish and everyone and every story that he told, the circus people, the um, conjoined twins, the werewolf, uh, I guess that's the circus people, I Just the, the giant, army, everyone's the there. army guys. The army guys, everybody's there all clapping and, and excited to see Albert Finney as he gets put into the water and he becomes the big fish mm. while everyone watches and he swims away. Yeah. It's very sweet. And while he's telling the story, they keep cutting between the visualization of the story, the actual like movie of the story. We see the characters, we see the events happening and we cut back to up telling the story. And you can see in his performance and his face that like he is in this moment, forgiving his father as he comes to understand storytelling as he comes to understand that these moments are emotionally true if not re- really true and he embraces it by himself creating an emotionally true moment about his father's passing and the community that his father has built throughout his life and how everyone he's ever met that we've been meeting in these stories throughout the movie um how they all love him and are there to support him at the end and that might not be literally true in that moment at that time but is emotionally true to what will be happening at a funeral in the future
1: yeah i mean and- it becomes literally true at yeah. the funeral like all of these he, like, people do pop back up he learns the
0: storytelling himself like, he learns to be a storyteller kind of or at least he he understands finally why his father does it and how emotionally true stories are sometimes maybe more meaningful than, than than the truth
1: yeah i really like too that when he's he's telling the story he doesn't leave out the good bits like he adds that they have to like take a different road because of church traffic. And Mm -hmm. there's like all of these little tangents and it's a car chase that they're speeding through the street. Yeah. In his old charger. That's like new again. Yeah. Yeah. It's really, really fucking good
0: yeah he's just he's telling a story the way his father would have told the story for the first time ever like it in the movie doesn't have to be you over like the narration doesn't go and in that moment i understood what my father what uh, what he was doing and what he was it's just like no you understand it because just that's what the story is you get that like oh this guy telling this story at this moment means this yeah we've broke down the cynic
1: yeah and you even get the little coda where he's like immortalizing his dad by continuing to tell his stories yeah. to his own yeah children. he says
0: that in the uh that's 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 the, that's the literal narration part where he's like yeah we, yeah what he learned was that um we are our stories that maybe the th- stories that we tell about ourselves that mythologize ourselves are no different from the truth maybe that is what we are since all we are in other people's eyes i'm kind of summarizing but all we are in other people's eyes is like what they what what we tell them, what they know about us. Like, so, and isn't that somehow like more true than the truth sometimes? And it's very sweet. Like his father gets to become, the, it was like, um, maybe like the final joke of his father is that now he is the big fish. He is the myth that keeps getting taught.
1: Yeah. He's throughout the family like, mystery. once he dies, he is only the stories. Like, yeah. and I think that also helps to like underline how important, It is that he doesn't ever risk cluttering the emotional truth of his stories by telling the literal truth. Like, even on his deathbed, he's just outright refusing to give any kind of like real account of what happened. He's like, cannot risk undermining in any way like what he has built up as himself or his son.
0: He has like minutes left in his life, and instead of like talking to his son straight, he's like, Tell me a story, boy yes you have to become i have to win you have to become the
1: storyteller and just like never giving up on a bit is such like a dad thing Mm -hmm. uh there's even he even billy credit even says like you know like a joke that you've heard a million times that just all of a sudden becomes funny to you again and like you remember why you like it so much man i don't know why that part just like hit me so hard it it felt like it was describing my watching of the movie yeah it's
0: yeah and we skipped over it, but after the story that credo tells about his father's passing we cut to the funeral and everyone whoever existed in these stories shows up and they're all just a little less mythologized than real danny DeVito's not
1: a werewolf yeah the giant, the giant he's, tall. Not, he's not he's not <laughs> he's moving buildings tall
0: Yeah, he's he just looks like the actor who plays him, who was like a seven foot six guy.
1: Yeah, which is like tall.
0: Yeah, it's funny. Funny thing about that actor is like at the circus when he takes over the circus job is the circus's giant is just like a regular seven foot tall guy who like they call mythologize as a giant themselves. But like his Ewan McGregor's giant is like a real giant, except like in reality, Ewan McGregor's giant is no different than the circus giant. It's just a tall guy <laughs> that he lies about. Um, but then like at the funeral, we see like the the conjoined twins, but they're not conjoined. They're just they're just identical twins that stand next to each other a lot. Boring. And Steve Buscemi's
1: there. And he's just kind of Steve Buscemi. Yeah. I mean, you get the sense that uh, all that shit might just be told straight. <laughs> Maybe Steve, Bus- Steve Buscemi wasn't a bank robber but he did go to Wall Street. Yeah, I mean, he definitely must have made some money to lend some for, I mean, at least the buying of Helena Bonham Carter's house part of the Spectre story is real. And it's like in the moment we realize that everything he
0: ever said, and that's like, I, mean, I think that's the funeral is an important scene because it Hammer's home, that like, the stuff he said happened. Like, that's like the final button of like, it definitely happened, um, but he was playing it up. And it's like, he would never lie to his son um Which is so sweet, and then Billy Gardup tells the story to his kids, and his father is immortalized by this connection they finally got. And it wasn't a new connection; it was learning to appreciate what they had before his father passed.
1: Yeah. yeah, man, this is like so, like sweet, and just like yeah, almost like nakedly manipulative. Like you know exactly what it's doing, but it just works. So I'm such like bait for I'm such a mark for this. <laughs> yeah.
0: I'm I'm tearing up over we're talking about the ending of this movie. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's effective and it, it, it's effective because I, like, I don't know everything that it's tying up at the end is is in the themes of everything that's going there. Like from the beginning of the movie, you can see that all of these stories are about how much he loves his family. Yeah, at least like from Spectre onward. I guess the sales of him being such a cool 18 year old are less about that.
1: That's just um, fun dad stuff.
0: But the story of him being in Spectre is about like oh, there was a perfect place I could have settled down. If you break that down, if you take out the mythology of Spectre, it's that place was perfect and I could have settled there and I had to move on because I was fated to meet your mom and have you. Like yeah. that story, why he leaves Spectre is, I love my family. Everything he does in the movie is, I love my family and I, I, I'm fated to meet them and there's no, no one else for me ever. And it, and because that's weaved through, I think the ending is, is a, as effective as it is.
1: Yeah. And like, it feels really fun while it's happening but just like the the sadness of the frame story does just kind of like hang over everything it doesn't that, feel like, like it comes out
0: of nowhere because of that
1: yeah all the hijinks because are...
0: we, we know from like the very early in the movie that the father is going so it's not like the ending of the movie is out of nowhere we've hit you with a brick of sadness or something it's it's no like the whole movie's building there we know that he's going and we know that we're building connections to draw on later so it it's it it, it, it's very effective it also feels so sincere like it's coming from this place of real emotion real feelings from everyone involved who made this movie
1: yeah because i don't know if you've read about the production i know burton's dad had just died or both of his parents had just died it's every step of the way. The
0: guy who wrote the book that this is based on, based on his own relationship with his father, and feeling like he was his father was a bullshitter that he never got to get close enough to. When that book was still in before it had even been published, the screenwriter of the movie saw a like draft of it, and he loved it because his father had just passed, and he did not have the opportunity to catch up with his father before he passed. So, like it was like this book was I something to him like. A realization of what he had wished he had with his dad and then tim burton when he sees the script is like this is what i just went through with my dad who i didn't get to catch up with as much as i wanted to and so he decides to direct it basically the three people who you could say had like like authorial who were like the authors of this movie all had like pouring their hearts into like the father issues angle of this film and in some way it feels like when you know that that the movie is not just about a father who seems distant and a son reconnecting. It's also like wish fulfillment from, from sons who wished they had, who wished that the ending of this movie had happened to them with their dad.
1: Yeah. I I think there's a line in it where he was like me and my dad were like strangers that knew each other very well, Yeah, which I feel like is something that probably a lot of people can relate to or like worry about
0: that was that line was why the screenwriter wanted to to write the movie
1: it it's really because he sticks related out. to that line yeah the man there's like a really sad bit it's like the first real like one-on-one conversation they have when he gets back to the house where he's like i know that i would die if like my son didn't know who i was and albert finney's like oh you would die huh it's like he is actually dying. Like, fuck, yeah, uh, I don't know. It's rough stuff. Yeah, it's it's heavy material
0: in like yeah. a fun and light movie, which is also not a fun and light movie.
1: It's really hampering my my natural inclination to just jadedly make fun of everything.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't have bits about this movie. It's just very sweet and effective.
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah. If that makes me a sap then so be it.
0: Man, yeah.
1: It it's also definitely Burton's like last great great one. Yeah, it is there's good movies after this. Like I like
0: Sweeney Todd. I really like Corpse Bride also. Yeah, that's pretty good. But this is the last one where if someone said that's my favorite Tim Burton movie, I would immediately go, "Yeah, okay. Totally." Yeah. Absolutely. Um, not that someone couldn't make an argument for something like big eyes. Like I'm sure like that person is out there who that's their favorite Tim Burton movie. But, um, I would have to hear their argument to, to like get it. Cause I haven't seen it. But like yeah. this one is the last one I've seen where I'm like, without even having to hear what you think about the movie, like what your like written out thoughts are. If you told me this is your favorite Burton, I'd be like, absolutely. That's, that's as good a choice as any. I think it's the last one of those. Yeah. He'd have
1: such a different career if this was.
0: Like his last movie
1: it's i mean yeah it's weird because it comes like immediately after planet his planet fades which is like a huge flop it was his last gasp
0: yeah it's yeah it is a weird one because yeah it's between planet of the apes and charlie and the chocolate factory which are like two i feel like hyper burton movies and then right in the middle of them is this movie where it's kind of like dialed back burton
1: yeah Man, I fucking hate that Charlie and the Chocolate Factory movie. I haven't seen it. It's really fucking ugly. I know a lot I, of people like it. It's like one of very few movies that I like actively dislike. I saw Alice in Wonderland was the last one of his I saw. Yeah, I saw that on a date in high school. I think it's the only movie that I've ever fallen asleep in the theater during. <laughs> on a date? I, yeah, I. it was like. In high school, I had like had a, a morning wrestling practice and no, I I have no idea if the movie was boring. I was just very tired.
0: It was the first
1: movie I saw on IMAX.
0: Hell yeah. You got to see <laughs> Johnny not shot in IMAX.
1: You got to see Johnny Depp's weird dance with his head spinning around in IMAX.
0: Yeah. You know, I, there's no other way to watch it. Um, Alice in Wonderland. Catch it in those rep screenings in IMAX and they bring it back every year. You know where they are. Did you see his Dumbo? No. Although uh, watching this, I was reminded that like Danny DeVito already played a circus guy for him.
1: Yeah, (laughs) he's just repeating bits. It's good. It's good to have a movie or like a song that you know that like regardless of what kind of mood you're in or like what context you see it in, it will just make you cry. Mm. It's like it's it's cool to have that in your back pocket if you ever feel like you need some kind of like big release for some reason like, oh, yeah, I do just I don't, watch the last half hour of big fish and let it all out yeah i don't um
0: I don't cry like heavy during a lot of movies but like yeah this is one of the most effective movies with me
1: yeah I have that like inborn like masculine like even when I'm alone like don't cry like what what are you doing don't cry like even when no one is there to see me for whatever reason i'm still like it's hard for me to just let it all go but yeah this is this is one that does it to me
0: i get teary-eyed at movies all the time but i don't cry at movies i cry with big fish
1: it makes my eyes like hot yeah i guess that's just what happens when you cry i'm just describing (laughs) crying it's just (laughs) my eyes get kind of like wet Something strange happens to me. My nose it's like starts running comes and out. It's weird. liquid comes out of my eyes. My eyes are peeing when I watch this movie. Does it? Does anyone happen? Does it happen to anyone else? I was on WebMD at the end of this movie trying to figure out what the fuck was going on.
0: My eyes are sweating. I put Help. deodorant
1: on them and they didn't work. I called nine one one. Please. Yeah, this is a
0: it's a good Tim Burton movie, man.
1: Yeah, I do like. That uh, that there's a, an Alabama, University of Alabama and a University of Auburn Forrest Gump. <laughs> Two movies locked in eternal battle. Yeah, it's the classic Auburn little brother syndrome where they're just copying the big school but doing it better, but no one cares. Yeah, why wasn't this movie... I guess it was a hit, but like, it wasn't an
0: awards movie like Forrest Gump.
1: I don't know. I think it was too too heavy-handed maybe yeah i I think a lot of times forrest gump i mean forrest gump isn't like i don't know for me at least it's not as like nakedly pulling at your heartstrings Mm. i think it kind of puts people off sometimes when you go that directly for such a big sentiment Mm. i was um
0: i was watching the uh i think at the time it was ebert and roper uh so ebert's review of it in which his issue because he
1: gave it like he gave it Uh-oh. thumbs down god damn dude what's this guy's problem with our podcast every movie <laughs> i like this guy doesn't like he also Hebert. likes all the movies i do like too to be fair um Hebert, like have we gotten a good uh a good clip from ebert on any of these movies i don't mention them
0: because i don't need i just i think he has good contrast to, to, to what we think
1: sometimes I think he's his a one for this hater. one. Was, um,
0: also, just we hate Ebert. There's an anti-Ebert podcast.
1: You know, it's he's the aggressor here.
0: He keeps attacking me by not liking the same movies. Yeah, he's, he's, uh, no, he's, he's one of my favorite. Critics, is why I always pull him up. But his issue was he thought that the vignettes distracted from the emotional core
1: of the movie. What the fuck does that? They are the emotional core of the movie. That's what
0: <laughs> I, that's my thing. Like, I I guess I can kind of get it. I, I guess the point is that he he thought that the Burton aesthetics that are really heavy in, in the vignettes or more heavy in the vignettes were distracting from the Finny crud up stuff. And I get it. I, I guess I get if you were, if you want like a more traditional father son bonding movie, uh-huh. but like for me, I think that's like the strength. I love that, that like, like you said, I think the vignettes are the
1: emotional core of the film. They're also like the levity of the yeah movie. I don't know. I don't know about that one. Raj. Yeah. The, all the vignettes too. I feel like really make it oh, like a dad core type thing before all the like heavy shit breaks you down at the end you are just kind of like bouncing around having a having a cool time yeah, having story time with dad yeah <laughs> story time with dad so that's that was the alternative title and story time with daddy yeah daddy time i'm glad they went with big fish yeah it's a little more uh,
0: resonant with the actual events of the movie.
1: It's a good metaphor. The big fish? Yeah.
0: For your wife. For everything, I guess. Yeah, I guess the fish in the movie is kind of everything. It's it's in part it's his wife is the uncatchable fish
1: that he had to put a ring on to get. It's his life, you know, it's his life. It's him, it's the he's witch. the big fish. Yeah, the witch tells him like the biggest fish gets that way by never getting caught. Yeah. Big fish is also a metaphor for all his tall tales. Just like
0: your dad talks about the biggest fish he ever caught.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a big fish story. It's a great metaphor. It's good. The fish. Yeah. They really got a lot out of it. A lot of mileage out of the fish. Yeah. It's a good through line in the movie. Yeah, for sure. I like the little bit where Billy Crudup is cleaning the world's dirtiest pool with a <laughs> tiny little net. And, uh, there's like a monster fish in it for a second. Mm-hmm. For a second, he sees the fish that his dad's always talking about. He starts to dream. He's starting starting to believe. believe. (laughs) It's the invisible food scene from Hook. You're doing it. You're believing. I really think that fucking Roy from The Office got such a raw deal. Such a funny punchline for the movie. He doesn't really get to do anything except lose his girl. He dies on the toilet looking at a Playboy while he's in college. Why does it have to be a playboy? Can't catch a break. One of Ashton's biggest jerks. What do he do? He never did anything. He, didn't do anything. he doesn't
0: really become a jerk until like, uh, until like the father shows up to steal his girlfriend. Yeah. His fiance on their wedding day or something. Not their wedding. It's like they're like the week for their soon. wedding. And he's just like, shows up to steal her and he's like, I want to beat you up. And it's like, I guess that's fair. Actually. He didn't just come in and tell your girl to dump you.
1: Yeah. I mean, and she doesn't like him either. Like I don't understand why she's engaged to this guy. She even says like this guy's a stranger to me and I like him more than you. It's like Yeah. Why's everyone It's a it's a real guy? reverse um every which way but loose. Oh, it had, chases her down but it works. He's the anti-tank Murdoch. <laughs> he's the guy that everyone knows sucks. At the, Dunbrace, the, the the office guy. Yeah. Biggest jerk. He's not the guy that you are seeking out to defeat to prove yourself. He's the guy that you can't help but defeating at every turn in your life. He's the Glass Joe of your life. He is he is the Glass Joe of this movie for sure. Someone that you just have to step on to get where you're going. Unavoidable. Yeah, can't get to Mike Tyson unless you get through Glass Joe first. He's the little fish. He is a little fish. He's A little
0: minnow. He you know why he's so small? It's because he never left the smallest tank. He never got to grow bigger. Uh, he
1: only grew to the size of his tank and then mm. died. And he died I forgot to on feed a him. tank. He died on the tank. His owners went on vacation and forgot to put his little pinch <laughs> of food in his bowl.
0: Here's a quote from Tim Burton to make you sad. Uh-oh. My father had been ill for a while. I tried to get in touch with him to have, like in this film, some kind of resolution, but it was impossible.
1: Like, me.
0: Yeah, my theory of this movie being kind of like wish fulfillment for all three of the authors of it. Of just like, this is this is what it would be like if I had, you know, reconciled with my dad before he passed. And maybe, hopefully, maybe my dad cared for me the way Albert Finney did. Yeah, we all, we all hope that. We all hope that. We all hope that we talk to our dads enough before
1: something happens. That we can connect with them on their deathbed. Mm-hmm. I wonder, uh... How come Johnny Depp didn't end up in this one? What was he doing? Pirates? Yeah, this is the year of Pirates. The fir- I think it's the year of the first
0: Pirates movie. It's too big.
1: Dodged a bullet there, I think.
0: Yeah, well... He got the, the crudster. He got a delayed bullet later in his life. Yeah. I really he like went down he the, brought up. He's just I just mean like, his career. He went down a path of, like, when's the last time you uh, enjoyed a Johnny Depp movie? Black Mass,
1: maybe? Yeah. Uh, you know um, Mordecai? Fantastic Beasts I'm a big Mordecai head I'm a big Mordecai head Lone Ranger I never saw that I didn't see it either I kind of want to watch it I know that people like it yeah it's been having kind of like a reclamation project yeah. going on now that I rewatched or I watched I, I I I hadn't seen the latter two sequels so I watched like the
0: Pirates trilogy and I really loved him and I'm like maybe Gore Verbinski's great and I should watch all
1: his movies he definitely is great yeah, I kind of like Billy Crudup as just like a a nothing type guy. Mm-hmm. He's just I feel like I think of him as just being like a very bland mm-hmm. actor, but he he brings a lot to everything. I always like seeing him and stuff. I don't yeah, think I can do He doesn't have due.
0: much of like an identity, but he's a great actor. Which well, also like why he was like I think so good in um in Watchmen, Doctor Manhattan.
1: He's got a great voice. Yeah. He could, he could, he can really do some VO narration. All right. Well, I think that's all about all we got to say about Big Fish. Uh, if what there did was you think a, about Big Fish? If there was a weird uh, edit jump right there, it's because we had to take a break to weep for a little bit. Uh, how are you feeling about it overall?
0: I loved it. Um, I don't know if I thought, I don't know if I knew I was going to love it as much as I end up loving it going back to it because it's been a while since I've seen it. But it had me weeping like a baby. It it caught me, it caught me. I, I got I got hook, line, and sinker. Wow. Reeled me in like a fish, like a fish, like fishing. I'm with you. Yeah, he's one true Fisher King of the cinema. Tim Burton. It's Tim Burton. He got me.
1: Yeah, I'm also yeah. real, real big on this one. Uh, it's one that like in the like whenever it was done, I was like, man, that's like a four point five out of five. I think the more distance I get from it, that like immediacy, I think wears away. Like my memory of it, I remembered liking it a lot, but I didn't remember like mm. being so caught up in it. Yeah, so, yeah it is, It's not my real... favorite
0: Burton, but it's like it's up there.
1: Yeah, I think it might be. I'm, well, Batman Returns is Batman firmly returns locked in number one, but it's it's up there for sure. I think I'm like Returns, and then.
0: Probably returns then Beetlejuice and then Baby Big Fish or Pee-Wee.
1: No. The first Pee Wee. You're not an Ed Wood? I haven't seen Ed Wood. I haven't I need to. It's good. It's a big one for sure. If you're into Burton.
0: Yeah. I like when he's I like when he's like firing all cylinders.
1: Me too. Yeah. I like when he's deep in his bag. He's such a he's such a weird director, because like there's movies
0: like Big Fish where I'm like, this is like this is like any director's best movie. Like this is a great movie. And then he, other movies where I'm like, this is stinky poo-poo doo doo. <laughs> he, he he did the elephant. he did the thing the elephant does on this movie.
1: I mean, I will always respect him for getting carte blanche on a Batman movie and just going Buck wild freak crazy on it. Yeah, like, barely making a Batman movie. Yeah. Mad
0: respect to him for that can't do that anymore they wouldn't let you make that batman movie anymore
1: he got mcdonald's mad at him that's the good shit That's the good shit
0: uh i'm with you i think i'm like a four out of five for this movie it's up there it's it's special
1: yeah it feels very silly i feel like we were just like really beaming and glowing about it to not just give it all five i want to actually kind of you know what You know what? I'm going to go five. I'm going
0: to go five. That's it. Yeah. I I felt five coming into the podcast and I've like been talking myself out of just saying five because like, no, I thought like everyone loved this movie. I was like checking Letterboxd and most of my mutuals have it like a three. And I'm like, yeah, I started like second guessing my five feelings after watching it. You know what? I've decided. You're right. We've been glowing about it all conversation. It doesn't feel feel right.
1: Yeah, we're in a safe space. I thought this, like, when it was over, I was like, man, I love that. Should I, is this something I should be, like, embarrassed about? But, you know, like, thinking back, I'm trying to think of, like, what problems I have with it. And I don't really have any. I just well, like it. Yeah.
0: It's, yeah, it's a great melding of classic Burton aesthetics with a classic Hollywood sentimental, k- kind of almost an award story.
1: Yeah, it's. It's good it's uh amazing. next week though we're going mommy mode
0: we're going we are going mom mode it's mom core time happy mother's day coming up in a week very excited about it we're going to talk about what is i think to me like mom core movie number one yeah our first mom core movie for mother's day it's greece It's Grease Lightning. It's Grease. I almost didn't remember what movie it was. And I was like, I really hope it's Grease before I (laughs) finish
1: saying the sentence. It's good to just talk until you get where you're going. Yeah. But yeah, it's Grease. A movie my mom loves. Yeah, My mom loves it too. I think every mom loves that movie. I don't think you're allowed to be a mom and not love Grease. Yeah. I mean, not to get ahead of ourselves, but I like it. I remember already... not liking it as a
0: teen, but I haven't seen it since then, so I'm interested. I uh, I bet I like it more than I used to. Let's hope so. I hope so, or we're going to fight so next episode. <laughs> Finally. It's our, it's our big next episode tease. Will we have our first fight? Our big Will I continue out. to dislike this movie? Find out. Tune in. Tune in next week. Until then, you can follow us at Twitter.com slash dadcore cinema or on the internet dadcore cinema.club wherever you're listening to this, keep doing it. If it's feeding you the podcast, you already know where to find it. You can follow me, Brandon at that one guy 64 on Twitter
1: and you can follow me at the Tumboy on twitter.com. I
0: was wondering where it would be.
1: Yeah that's where I hang. It's my uh, chat room. Thanks for listening. Bye.